and welcome to episode 54 of Songs from a Padded Envelope. My name is Steve and I'm here with co-host Ben. Hello, Ben. Hello there, Steve. I just made my desk make a noise then. Well, I... I... I'm a desk banger. <laughs> You're a fucking desk banger. That was an Angelic Upstart song, wasn't it? <laughs> if it wasn't, it should be. <laughs> uh, well, occasionally we'll explore online archives and forums looking for guests for the show. And a random delve into the Wolverhampton Music Archive led us to connect with today's guest, Jens Zimmerman. It's fair to say, Ben, that we found someone with more than one tale to tell. We did. He had many tales to tell. And uh, we had a whole raft of questions to try and draw that stuff out. But we, we didn't really need those questions, did we? I think it's the fewest questions we've ever asked. Yeah, we we set him rolling and off he went. And he had, like like you said, he had so many tales to tell and a, and a wonderful collection of stories it was well you didn't know which way it was going to go it contained some of the most poignant moments we've had in the show across all 54 episodes kind of woven into this um kind of long-form storytelling that jens has uh, and all, sharing of his experience but throughout it there's these just these moments of holy shit that, that happened as well or you know sharing something really poignant yeah and we can't really we can't um we can't give away too much can we because there's so so much stuff that just needs to come out within within the the episode itself and it, it has a it has a great start to it a mm. brilliant a brilliant kind of origin story that you're just not going to be you're not going to be expecting at all and then when it comes to the end of the episode and his kind of summation at the end about um you know, a realization of how things can completely turn on their head and change your perspective on life. And it's got a real poignancy and a depth to it that, um, you know, again, that you wouldn't have been expecting having followed all that conversation. I don't think yeah. I, re I really love how it comes to, it comes to a full stop at the end. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is, I mean, we've said this before, but it is, it is really worth sitting with, um, because there are, it, is, it does have some real poignancy to it, and 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 Jens is a very articulate man, and 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 also has a lot of uh, energy for the memories that he has, and and puts himself right back in those situations again to in order to tell those stories. And I really, I really love that generosity of um, recollection that he that he has. Um, I appreciated it less when he's talking about spitting, in <laughs> punk gigs. It's the closest I've come to throwing up uh, uh, during <laughs> yes. an interview. It's thoroughly disgusting, and possibly the, the episode should have a twig, tr a trigger warning. <laughs> yeah, we've talked we've talked about how ace punk is, but that's certainly certainly one thing worth missing oh, out on. <laughs> honestly, it's turning my stomach. His description of oh my god, it's disgusting. Thanks for that, Jens. Uh, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Very graphic recollections which i don't think of it's an aspect of uh that whole spitting phenomenon with punk that i don't think i've ever thought about before um, oh, no. well i do i do remember i do remember seeing some of the seeing some of the footage and talk i mean i remember stories about um i don't know if it was joe strummer or um or johnny rotten you know catch you know catching stuff off microphone microphones mm. after shows and stuff getting yeah. serious getting seriously ill with it um, but yeah, oh dear. Thank, thankfully, not to have been there on the stage for those type of things. God, good grief, rank. Um, 
Yeah, well, look, thanks to Jens for coming on to the show and uh, for all those people that um, are helping us spread the word about the show. And uh, if you'd like to pop up a nice five-star review to help us elbow our way through the great podcast melee, that would be very nice of you. There is a, There are a lot of us in here currently. It's getting a bit sweaty. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Um, well, I just wanted to add one thing, if that's all right, mate. Yeah. Given, given that we were talking to another punk and uh, lots of our kind of episodes have had a link to kind of the punk era and stuff. And um, I was very fortunate through my own music to have uh, to met a real true icon of the UK punk scene who unfortunately um, passed away just a couple of days ago. Um, Nikki Tesco, who was lead singer of the members. And I was very lucky to um, to play in a band, um, Atletico Strip, who Nick took on and managed for um, for a good time. And we had many adventures in that. And he was uh, a charming and wonderful human being and will be dearly missed. So thank you to Nick. Yeah, well said, mate. This episode's for Nicky Tesco. Episode 54 of Songs from a Padded Envelope with Jens Zimmerman. Okay, and my name's Jens Zimmerman, and I played in a band called The Innocent. And the demo songs we recorded originally were Dead End and Shadow. Well, we're gonna we're gonna get into talking a bit a little bit about those uh, songs a bit later in the podcast. But thanks for coming on, Jens. No it's really nice to meet you. And to kick us off in your bike, you described some sort of significant childhood experiences of discovering music at home and through family members so could you just get us started by talking a little bit about that well i you know i i was kind of unlike some of my peers i i grew up in quite a uh, liberal well very left-wing family and due to various uh, things in my childhood uh, i was exposed to different kind of music from because my mother uh, remarried etc so and uh, new partners brought new music so I had everything from her music which originally was tr kind of proper traditional rock and roll which she grew up in so I got to listen to that and then I was introduced to things like the Beach Boys who I think are still awesome and uh, and then along the way things like you know the Stones and all that kind of kind of stuff that was very significant and and actually, you know, held held their kind of held their time, shall I say, throughout my musical journey, shall we say, and um, and because they they were quite uh, social parents, so there'd be parties. So I'd kind of be up in my bedroom or sat at the top of the stairs, you know, mm. taking in the cigarette smoke and well, I think it was cigarette smoke. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And thinking, oh, this is so good, you know. And occasionally, I'd go down, and it was kind of, I had kind of a, a very kind of liberal upbringing. So my peers weren't really as much into music, shall I say, or not into what would then be considered, <laughs> which is ironic now, alternative music. You know, it wasn't your top of the pops. But, you know, again, though, I was really lucky to have grown up in the era of Top of the Pops, which, you know, is sorely missed, really, for all that kind of 
just listening just it was the the thing that you had to do you know from a certain age every I think it was Thursday I can't yeah. remember yeah. every Thursday yeah yeah into 7 30 you had to be watching top of the pops and then at school the next day you talk about whatever band you liked or whatever band you didn't like you know luckily i i discovered slade so i was kind of uh which again influenced my punk days um and and then you know as i grew up i because uh my my, my mum and I were kind of single. Well, you know, my mom was single for a while, um, but I spent a lot of my summers in Germany. And I I had an aunt who was a year older than me. So I got exposed there to so much music from stuff that I might be slightly embarrassed about now, like Deep Purple. <laughs> uh, to, no needs, yeah. But so. then... Then you know she she'd bring home. I, my first exposure to Bowie was Ziggy Stardust, you know, and I remember when that when everyone was out, I'd be like, and I don't know if every kid did this, but as soon as the the record came on, I was there with my air guitar and jumping around, or I'd be the singer, and I'd kind of like I suddenly realised that I thought I really lo- I would love to do this. Do you know what I mean? And uh, and I was quite young at that time. I was probably about 11, 12. I can't remember when Ziggy Stardust came out, to be honest. 74? I'm crap with dates. Um, but the first kind of band that I got into kind of on my own uh, was Slade. That was kind of my first kind of posters on the wall and every record release until they got a little bit crap. Um was Slade, you know, the first albums and stuff. And it was also the first gig I went to. Um, Amazing. And, uh, weeks dole money on taking me to see them in Oxford. And I think I was the only boy. <laughs> in a sea of screaming. I was up in the balcony, by the way. I was yeah. near the front. Uh, in a sea of screaming girls, which I couldn't get my head around, you know, because kind of, to me, it, they, they were like a, proper stompy you know uh i'm not saying a boys band because there's no such thing but do you know what i mean i didn't feel that they were like you know some of the glam rock bands like sweet and stuff which were all quite kind of treacly and you listen to slaves lyrics and it's like oh yeah okay i can i can kind of see where they're coming from yeah so, yeah so i got exposed through family really to music and then kind of made my own journey later on through things like top of the pops that was kind of my go-to so yeah that's how i kind of got got exposed to music and then you know and, and even at a young age i one of my uncles uh he was he was just awesome like i was like a real idol of mine because he was just so pristine and you know worked as a mechanic but you know you go I'd always have his room and then I'd go through his tapes. You know, I remember lying there listening to Leonard Cohen and just having all these vivid... I mean, I had to take drugs later on to get these images in my head. But they were like... They were so vivid, his words, you know. And I got really into... I got into lyrics, painting pictures, you know, which had a massive influence when I started writing songs. 
um, the way I, I wrote and structured songs was very much about painting a picture rather than, don't get me wrong, you know, I've sung all kinds of polit politically motivated songs, songs about uh, all sorts of stuff, usually not actually written by me. Um, but then when I started writing about, because they're mostly autobiographical, then that's when I really got into crafting uh, the lyric writing side of things. Yeah. Um, Jens, that's fantastic. You've given us an awful lot to take a run out there. <laughs> I, I, I kind of feel like we should drag you back to that moment when the very first moment when you hear Ziggy Stardust. Oh, and, my God. Yeah. So take, set, set the scene for us. Where, where does this happen? How old are you? What's the impact uh, on you? Well, whenever the album was released, because my, my aunt was always like finger on the pulse and she went to gigs and things. Um, so wh whatever year that album was released, um, she said, oh, you must listen to this. And I, I kind of, you know, when, I was very shy. So... It was only behind closed doors that the kind of little rock and roll person came out in me, but I put it on. And the moment I kind of heard those guitars, I was just like, yeah, this is something completely, you know, it's not, it wasn't, it was so far removed from kind of the, the mainstream rock that was present yeah. at the time. All the big, big things like Deep Purple and Yes and whatever. And because I, you know, I kind of missed went over my head basically because I wasn't, I was too young to get stoned. So I couldn't kind of, do you know what I mean? I wouldn't be yeah. sat there going, Oh yeah, man, this is so groovy. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm really lost in this space. <laughs> I heard guitar music, a bit like, you know, listening to rock and roll, listening to the beach boys and whatever. It's all based on kind of a catchy tune and good lyrics. You know? And, uh, but yeah, I was I was <laughs> so so as soon as they as soon as my aunt and my uh, grandmother went out, I put it on on my own, and that's when I really tripped out to it, and I was just jumping around, and I was just thinking, God, oh, this is just this is totally where I want to be, you know. This is kind of so I must have, I can't remember what year it was out. So is it seventy four? I think you might be right with 74, yeah. I'm going to check while we're chatting. Yeah, so I was born in 62, so I would have been about 12, 11 or 12. So if you if you trace your life as a musician back, is that the kind of sort of the, the, the day zero point when you hear Ziggy Stardust? Is that where it all springs from? Yeah, Ziggy Stardust and Slade were... 1972. Seven, bloody hell. Oh, I started yeah. young. You did? <laughs> <laughs> you forget when you get this old, you go, uh, was it? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so if that was 72, that was about the time that I started listening to Slade. Um, I mean, I liked all, some other uh, kind of bands of that time, but it was the first one that actually cemented kind of my individual like of something do you know what i mean i didn't hang out with loads of guys loads of uh, loads of young people who liked slade i was very much <laughs> on my own uh and again you know it was just like i'd be jumping around in the bedroom thinking god this is this is just spot on 
Uh, you said before just about um, uh, when you heard that music, then you started to realise that it was something that you wanted to do. How how quickly did you start to explore that, you know, in, in, in any real sort of sense? I never did. It was always behind closed doors until the day that, um, well, I guess... You see, I never, I never kind of set out to, because I was, I can't explain how painfully shy, which actually I think a lot of singers are, um, but I, I, I didn't have that sort of confidence. Um, and it was, I mean, again, it was, I seem to have been lucky with my family members. So for my last, my mum's last marriage, so my last father, um, his brother took me to for my first punk gig which was in 1977 at the end of in Shrewsbury um it was the dead end kids um and I know they they aren't really a punk band but at the time that they were you know one of the first bands that I saw um and at the same time and that that I remember that winter because Barry released Heroes which has become kind of my and I know everyone says it but because I was quite introvert, music, I listened to music on my own, do you know what I mean, in my bedroom. And when I heard Heroes, it completely, in 77, not on every advert or whatever, it kind of totally, yeah. I totally got it, do you know what I mean? And, and it was just like, uh, it just blew me away. So <laughs> going back to your question, I basically, uh, I had a kind of weird summer uh so basically i'd i left school with no qualifications to the point where i went to the local tech college and uh and the only thing i could enroll on with it was a business studies course because they said basically in the interview and I, you think about times now you wouldn't be able to say this they they literally said i was too thick to to take my o levels retake my o levels so they put me on a business studies course and I walked out on the first day because, um, well, basically because the guy shouted at me for not having a pencil. I was 16. I was pretty much, compared to my peers, I was pretty old in my head. I was quite, kind of mature, but not that kind of, kind of uh, I don't know what you say, but um, not in a kind of way of looking down on people. I was just very kind of sorted because I'd had so many life experiences by the time I was 16, some not great, uh, but some really astonishing compared to, to, you know, I talked to my peers and be like, yeah, my parents don't actually listen to music or, you know, I don't, you know, all I do is, I don't know, play with, uh, you know, uh, toy soldiers or whatever and uh i said well what has happened in your life well nothing <laughs> you know it's kind of that kind of traditional life upbringing which i never had which has probably been one of the benefits for me being able to kind of get into music and then write music later on and um, so i i left so i left that tech college i spent the summer back in germany I spent almost uh, almost uh, summers there. Uh, I had the most awesome grandmother. Um, so a lot of the summers, it may be that I 
I had, uh, you know, six weeks there, but one summer I had to learn how to write joined up. Another summer I had to get up at crack of dawn to, to learn how to swim outdoors. Um, it was so I had this juxtaposition of a very kind of left wing liberal upbringing, and then in Germany, quite a traditional but loving, you know, it wasn't mm. oppressive, uh, but very kind of you need to, to learn how to eat properly. Do you know what I mean? Like at a table and whatever manners, basically. And it's not my mum didn't, didn't disregard manners, it's just you know, it was. So that juxtaposition. So that summer I went over there. My grandmother actually broke her leg, so I spent the summer redecorating. And uh, I know all this sounds really weird and made up, but anyway, she bought me a lottery ticket uh, for the German lottery, and I won. Uh, I was 16, and I suppose in comparatively now, it would be well, well over a million pounds. What? What? <laughs> and I was just... I was just sat there and I was going, well, you know, and it was a TV show. So it was before the lottery was here. It was a thing in Europe um, yeah. and it was a big thing. You know, it was, it was like the show of the Saturday night. Everyone tuned into it. And they had like this cartoon dog and stuff. It was massive. And um, then, I, you know, I get the call. I go, oh, yeah, you've won. So, of course, me, the first thing, I'm 16. I'm thinking, oh, right, I want to go over. I want to be on telly. And, I want... <laughs> and then I was told, no, for security reasons, <laughs> that's not possible. Because it was also at the height of the Bader-Meinhof stuff. It was like, uh... yeah, probably not a good idea. So, anyway, it was all kind of low-key. And uh, so... I kind of, I, I kind of made a decision there, and um, uh, and I I think this is just kind of as an indication of the sort of person I was at sixteen. Basically, I I helped my parents buy a house. I bought my grandmother a car. Bought my aunt a car. You know, I was sat there, of course, initially going, oh, "I want this. I want that." Yeah. Thank God, it wasn't in the tech era (laughs) (laughs) money really um and then i just went you know what i just want to prove these bastards wrong so i actually paid for to go to public school so i thought i you know i need to show that i'm not thick and that it was actually the educational system that failed me i mean i admittedly i've moved schools every two years minimum so it this it's a long way around but then when I was at there, someone came up to me and said, oh, um, this band's looking for a singer. I was like, yeah, I've never sung. You know, I never even, apart from, you know, into you know a, a hairbrush or whatever, it was, you know, it wasn't even a, a thing. And I, But I'd been to see punk bands and thought, oh, do you know what? I'll give it a go. And uh, that's that's how I first started singing and it was it was it was fantastic you know because it was a proper punk band so i'm not saying that you had to be the most proficient singer um and i ironically enough i've just actually finished a meeting with that band because about i i'm not a big facebook user but about six seven years ago the drummer just messaged me out of the blue bearing in mind we haven't kind of seen each other since probably the early 80s and said oh do you want to do a one-off charity gig i was like 
shit, all right. Uh, I love it. I love and it. And kind of did it, you know, and, and we've done a few, but obviously it's been a difficult time. Um, so we're just going to do another one in June. And uh, and that's, that's the first band I joined. And, I mean, I didn't really write any songs because uh, a lot of it was still political and stuff, and I didn't really craft my songwriting till later on. Um, but it it was strange because you, if you met me off stage, you'd just think I was, you know, interesting, but kind of quite reserved in a sense. But once I step on that stage, I become a completely different person. I think that's my fa- one of uh, my favourite ever journeys to be getting into your first band stories that we've had. Yeah. That was just brilliant, Jens. Just, I mean, where was it going to go next? Yeah, indeed. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Um, and um, I'm uh, I'm sorry if you've got a, the next question, Ben, but I just I just wanted to ask about you. You, you just just talking then about. Um, how uh you become a completely different person was that was that immediate when you first got behind a mic and heard your voice amplified and started to sing with this first band what was that band called by the way uh fallout fallout so was that was that was that an immediate thing for you did that is that how it hit you or did you kind of grow into those shoes i i think it was initially it was uh you know i was painfully shy and it would be like i'd be singing really quietly <laughs> and then you know realized I couldn't actually hear anything over the other instruments and particularly the drummer um and it was always you know we're talking about basic equipment so there was none of this wearing headphones or <laughs> anything it was just like turn everything out up as loud as possible so yeah. we can hear things above the drums <laughs> and then of course the singer is always the last one because the mic feeds back so I would never say that I crafted my art as a, as a vocalist because I'd never consider myself to be a singer as such. I'd, I'd say I'm a vocalist. Um, but then, you know, all the greats that I love, like Lou Reed and, and even Bowie, I wouldn't consider to be singers in, in, that, in the spectrum of, say, Adele or something, you know, someone who's got vocal training or whatever it's not that they can't sing it's just I, I consider them to like Iggy Pop as a vocalist you'll recognize his voice straight away and that's good you know and so yeah it took a while and of course most of the time I couldn't hear myself so I think when it really kind of changed for me uh was uh playing live that absolutely because it it sounds horrible but i don't really care whether people liked us or not <laughs> it was just the pleasure of getting up there yeah. and um you know for for someone who's 16 who you know i think we we all go through kind of anger stuff and things like that and for me it was like it was a way of getting all of that out you know and kind of just going on stage or even doing rehearsals it was better. I mean, I suppose people go to the gym now. It's better than anything like that. You just kind of everything had just come pouring out in your performance. And for me, it was always about putting on the best show possible. It didn't matter whether they liked us or not. And I think you know, it was it was also a veneer where 
you know, this was Shrewsbury, so we're pretty much behind the London punk scene. So for us, you know, to be a little bit shocking or well, not really shocking, but there was a lot of spitting and and a lot of the times I'd perhaps start some of that. <laughs> not enough <laughs> 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 walk on stage with a cheap can of beer, not expensive stuff, and uh, you know, and shake it off and that that'd be the first three rows of the audience gone, you know. But it was all DIY <laughs> and that's what I loved about it. We made our own T shirts, we made our own clothes, we did our own publicity, we hired halls. Well, village halls. We were banned from village halls. We had to pay. I was I was just reading a bit back to the guys. We had to pay, I think, six pounds fifty for the repair of a, a toilet. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the parish committee uh, Uh-oh. Were, very, Uh-oh. were very concerned about the rowdy behaviour of the people attending our function. Because we had to do this quite clandestine because you just turn up and go, oh, we'd like to hire a village hall. We're doing a little bit of a thing. And 99% of the time they go, yeah, yeah, fine. I wouldn't ask, you know, and then you'd turn up and we'd kind of sell tickets for 50p on the door and uh, and never made a penny. Uh, (laughs) It ended up either us paying damages or whatever, but it was it was great. I absolutely loved it. I I, I don't get me wrong. I, I do not uh, I do not miss the spitting. The spitting was no. probably the worst. Yeah, so thing. It was a it was a poor thing. Yeah, oh, it was. Poor you know, I don't mind beer throwing um, and cans are okay, but bottles hurt. So you know, it's a case of dodging those. Uh, but it got to the point where my mum actually made me get undressed outside <laughs> oh, <laughs> before, before I went into the house uh, after a gig. So um, <laughs> that paints a picture, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And she wouldn't wash the the stuff in the washing machine, so I had to hand wash it. Believe me, that paints a picture. Oh. Just gross. Oh. So you know, but it kind of crafted your ability to deal with. Um, situations so we say which uh can become quite volatile Mm. um and although there wasn't any out and out violence at these gigs it you know they got got enthusiastic shall we say (laughs) and uh you know you'd have to i think the last gig we played was in a place called sandbatch and uh it it was at the era of uh their name oh, i'm thinking not carcass um anarchist band crass oh, crass crass right so we were still we we'd actually got better we we knew how to play our instruments so we were playing more tuneful punk shall i say um and with some harmonies and uh you know good guitar bits and uh, we did not go down well in Sandbatch. It ended up in a riot. And it was probably one of the biggest venues we played. And um, and uh, ironically enough, uh, my, my father was there, my mum and my un- one of my other uncles from Germany. And they actually had to come on stage with, <laughs> with broken uh, leg arms, uh, chair, table legs. 
to kind of protect us and we oh, that's great <laughs> ran out and, um, and and just basically got in the van got out there as quick as possible ironically enough my brother who was about one years old was on a you know one of those uh, kids backpack things so that was his first experience of a gig on stage with your mum with a tape <laughs> leg, warding <laughs> off angry Stantachi and punks. I think they kept her safe, but it was just it was just hilarious. But one of the things that changed for me at that point was I I I I've always been a great believer in uh, you know in kind of music as meant to to be liberating and enlightening and try and change things. And for me, punk was very much kind of the starting point of kind of amalgamating all the like kind of left-wing politics uh, kind of, I don't mean this in a, it sounds horrible, but some of the hippie stuff about peace, love and actually going, no, let's fuck this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's time to actually make a statement and kind of, cause you know, it's, it's really odd when you think back to that time and, you know, just having spiky hair made you stand out or just having different clothes from the majority. It wasn't like there'd be a sea of punks, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah. you know. And, uh, but yeah, that gig, I, I experienced my kind of first kind of homophobic stuff, which was a real shock. And and actually I was, you know, I, I was in the van back and it was the first time I actually got emotional after a gig. Instead of just getting angry, I actually just cried and just thought this this is not, and particularly for a, a band which, you know, promotes anarchism and kind of true anarchism is about changing things, not, you know, so that was kind of a shock and that, that the band split up soon after that, not for that particular reason, but it was, uh, but it kind of informed where I wanted to be after that. That I didn't kind of want to be playing to audiences that were. Um, I didn't care whether they liked us that much, but uh, not to to you know, tolerate stuff like that. I mean, I was going to uh, rock against racism stuff, and mm-hmm. you know, really involved in all of that. So it came as a bit of a kind of kick in the teeth because my experience of punk wasn't necessarily that it was all like everyone, you know, open and whatever, but that, that that didn't seem to be that and maybe it's just my kind of rosy eyed look at things but there didn't seem to be that barrier between genders and whatever and uh it you know and i thought oh great you know uh you know the women were dressed however they wanted and that there wasn't this focus on oh you're dressed like that therefore you're a slut um uh, you know what i mean because they pushed the boundaries of of what was seen as acceptable so for me it was the right place to be because i just thought yeah this kind of brings in my anger and my experiences and kind of all of that so that's kind of how i first started as a vocalist wow what what a story and and um i mean you've you've detailed it so vividly there the the impact that punk had for you jens um it's something that for so many people, not the musical impact of it, but the the, the impact for, for possible potential for social change and that type of thing that has carried people through in their lives. And that sounds like that's very much the case for you. In, yeah, interestingly enough, one of the jobs that I did uh, much 
much later on, I mean, I kind of used all my DIY uh, skills to kind of put together publicity material. You know what I mean? So it does just hold true. I may not, you know, still be that involved in music, but all of that ethos and kind of, you know, let's just kind of think and you don't need a company to do something that you can be creative doing yourself. You might need someone to help you produce the stuff, but actually getting all the ideas and creativity that, that kind of punk allowed. Um, you know, I would never have thought of make, making my own clothes, you know, or kind of designing my the band's T-shirts and things like that, or kind of making your own posters. And, of course, that carried through to, you know, when we would talk about the innocent we did all of that as well you know we put on our own gigs we kind of you know we were very at that point we were very clear where we were politically as well even though our songs weren't particularly political because i was kind of writing half of them by then so um yeah i mean i i kind of feel that that for me uh, i'd still consider consider myself to be a punk but I wouldn't go and see the Sex Pistols because they're a bunch yeah. of old. Oh. Uh, anyway, but you know, <laughs> I, I don't have that desire to go and uh, relive my youth. My youth happened, and what I tend to do is I have a friend who who used to be the manager of the Innocent, and he knows every single date, by the way. Um, uh, you know, I think about oh, six, seven years ago, something like that. We did, there's a, a really small venue here and just really unknown or up-and-coming bands uh, like, say, the Savages. I'm, I'm only mentioning them because they became a little bit big. Um, we're playing this tiny, tiny venue and all we do is we go through the listing and they all have like a video and we just go, that's ah, only five quid or eight quid. Let's go and check them out. You know, there's only two bands that we walked out on. And that's, for me, how I used to go to gigs, because a lot of the punk bands that I saw in the early days had not, not even released records. They'd be like, oh, we're going to this gig. It's a punk gig. Oh, yeah, let's all go. And God knows. I mean, I probably saw really big people. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like really fam- what went on to be really famous people. But to me, it was just another gig. And going to gigs was the big thing. You just That's how you got exposed to music. And was there much of a scene? Was there socially? Was there much of a scene around around those shows? Um, in Shrewsbury, yeah. I mean, we're, we're not not outside of the scene. I mean, you'd hang out in because Shrewsbury's basically a market town, or certainly was then, and still kind of is mentally. Um, I don't go. I mean, my family still live there. I don't really. I mean, I, I visit my family, and and ironically enough, the first band that I was in, we're we're going to be doing a gig near there. Uh, and uh you know it's fun it's 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 a nice place but at the time it was actually quite cool because (laughs) it wasn't like being in a big city in the sense of you know you kind of knew where to avoid where you weren't going to get beat up and uh, stuff like that but in terms of the gigs ironically enough uh we had so many other iconic bands play there like the heartbreakers i 
Pig still sticks in my mind because it started off with a Hitler speech. Um, <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> and suddenly, the person who'd been on an anti-Nazi league march or whatever the what week before was surrounded by Zeke hiring punks. Um, but I don't actually think they knew what they were doing. If you mm. see what I mean, uh, it wasn't like that. The, the right wing movement had had turned up. I think it was just bizarre and I, I was just shocked um but yeah i mean i you know i remember seeing why are there and sitting in their dressing room you know and they were giving out all their the beers they had and stuff like that so in terms of the kind of the bands band scene it was lovely because no one it didn't really matter what how, kind of what you looked like or even what how old you were most of us were quite young but you just went to to have a good time and uh, and I think I think then in Shrewsbury the punk scene developed with the various bands that developed, including Fallout and those other bands that, that were around. Um, I think you know when I then moved to Wolverhampton after I finished school, I kind of uh, I moved to Wolverhampton to do my uh, well, you know do a degree as as is normal, but. That didn't last long. I think I lasted about a year and a half. I got kicked off the course, primarily for my party lifestyle. So I kind of, uh, that's when I kind of ended up uh, being approached to join The Innocent. I'd been in other bands in between, um, one in Leicester. Um, and that was, that was good. That, I was, in that band, I was just a guitarist. And I absolutely loved it because I do, do love, I do love putting on a show. <laughs> I do love posing. Um, and, uh, you know, um, and I had nothing to do with any of the kind of, I was just writing the songs, basically. Um, and at that time, I, I you know, as, as I think a lot of young punks in those days got discovered Amphetamine, which was actually a fantastic aid to songwriting and creativity although some may argue, uh, um, but, uh, you know, um, I'm I'm pretty much of the uh, school that I think a lot of drugs can help, but then they can become a massive issue, which they did for me later on. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I was just kind of really enjoying the kind of just doing gigs and playing guitar and stuff and... uh, being a bit Daniel Ashy on stage, really. Lots of There's nothing uh, wrong with that. Oh, nothing wrong with that. You know, I mean, one of my guitar heroes. I have to. Yeah, say. me too. All uh, hail Daniel Ash. Yeah, absolutely. I do love the posing. Um, yeah, I was kind of in Wolverhampton, and I got kicked off my course. I was basically just. I mean, I, I was having a good time, I have to say. Um, and I got involved with the Wolverhampton. Polly's Ents thing. So I used to be a gopher for the Ents uh, manager there. So, which suited my nocturnal lifestyle because by that point I was uh, rather consumed with uh, substances. <laughs> and um, and then I, I actually had to ask because this is, there's, there's certain things that I can m- remember really clearly, but then there's, there's really odd things. And I've asked other band members this. It's like, why did we split up? Mm. Is 
for the first band that I was in, we we actually had that was that was one of the first conversations. Why did we split up? I, I have no idea. All right. But, you know, it's not like the, oh, I hate you <laughs> kind of, you yeah. know, uh, or we've made it too big. Um, not that kind of thing. Um, so I was doing that. Uh, I was pretty known around the Polytechnic, but I think that was because I was sustaining my lifestyle in a manner that uh, <laughs> probably slightly illegal. Um, and... Um, and then I, I, so I, I actually messaged the drummer and I said, how the hell did I join your band? Because I can't remember. I was, I was busy kind of living a wild lifestyle, looking like a rock star, certainly. Um, another good thing about amphetamine, cheekbones. Cheekbones uh, <laughs> <laughs> beyond belief. Uh, so, um, but it actually, there, there is a, there is a reason for me mentioning the drugs. Um, it's uh, so so basically through the grapevine. <clears throat> I'd I'd not played in a band for probably about six or eight months, and and that was the band I was played guitar in. And they were looking for a guitarist, and someone had said to Jim, who was the bass player, um, "Oh, I hear that this guy, um, you know, he plays guitar." Well, I say I play guitar. I, I can use two fingers. I can't do a full chord, but I can make a lot of noise and then do a little twirly bits, but more like buzzcock solos than, uh, you know, uh, Zeppelin. Um, so so I thought, oh, and then they, they just turned up on my doorstep, um, him and Eagle, the drummer, and said, oh. And I was, <laughs> I said, what was it like? I said, well, you were in the middle of, middle of some illicit activities, so we just sat and waited till you'd finished. And I was like, oh, okay. I hadn't been <laughs> by the way. Not because I was that out of it, but I had a pretty busy lifestyle. So, uh, so that's how I joined the band. And I originally joined as the guitarist, and we then uh, rehearsed like mad. We uh, had... Uh, originally, we had a keyboard player who then became our manager. He walked off stage halfway through the first gig. And then we had a singer who, because we rehearsed in the basement of a squat, we didn't realise he couldn't sing. So we realised that when we played back the very rough recording of uh, the gig. And uh, that was the end of him. <laughs> um, he, he he actually went on holiday uh, to Greece, and uh, by the time he came back, we were a threesome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I kind of originally joined as the guitarist, and then it was like, well, you know, needs must, so I'll step up and sing. And it was interesting because it was the first time I tried to be more of a vocalist than just trying to shout out lyrics. Now, in this process running up to joining The Innocent, because I was traveling uh, for business purposes, I spent a lot of time on the train. By the way, I, I just want to add, I was very, very low key. I wasn't a uh, major uh, supplier. This was all because uh, supplies were cheaper where I knew people. 
So I traveled, say, down to, oh, I better not say the places. Um, I, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, uh, say for, for two, two, two to three hours sometimes. Um, and I always carried a notebook with me. Um, and I, a lot of the time I'd be pretty um, hyper. Um, so I'd, I'd be starting to write lyrics. But I just kind of write, say, little bits. And um, then I started, and I, I have to admit, you know, I know Bowie never admits to stealing off anyone. Uh, I did kind of start using a cut and taste paste technique as well um but not not completely random it was very much like i'd have bits of lyrics in one bit and bits of another and i'd start amalgamating and then i'd start kind of switching the lines lyric lines around so that they kind of form the picture that i wanted so prior to joining the innocent i had i i'd already written quite a number of songs which we then went on to kind of perform and and set music to. Sometimes, you know, I think with a good band, you all bring ideas. Someone might bring the initial tune and then you develop it. Um, or sometimes someone will come with a complete tune. You know, it's nice to be in bands which don't have egos. Um, yes. As far as I'm concerned, if the music reflects the lyrics going back to the idea of say Leonard Cohen as a 10 year old in a darkened bedroom, listening to the lyrics and seeing pictures in their heads or listening to Bowie for the first time. And when I wasn't jumping around listening to kind of the, the lyrics and the, the imagery that was being kind of portrayed as a, it was almost like it's a film in your head. Mm-hmm. You're just kind of seeing these things. You, it's not just hearing. It's it's a it's an imagination thing. Um, so so that's when I when I started right properly crafting what I consider to be writing songs. So at this at this point, Jens, how serious are you about making music and about making a success? You talked about how you rehearsed really heavily with the band and some very very beautiful and vivid description about you developing in terms of a songwriter but what are you after as a band at that point uh, i would have liked fame fortune and a, a nice uh, luxury lifestyle thank you uh, that didn't <laughs> happen <laughs> um to be honest a lot of the time i mean you know we all wish that it i think my, you know i say i have no regrets i think my only regret is that i never had enough confidence to pursue my own kind of you know go actually this is what I want um I think you know at that time you the the Wolverhampton music scene there was a lot of bands and you worked with each other if not you know supporting each other you know in terms of gigs and whatever Mm. you'd interchange band members if someone was kind of poorly or whatever you know get a guitarist from another band and whatever I think with uh, for me the innocent uh, the, the innocent's biggest demon was uh, not holding on to a guitarist long enough to actually uh, develop uh, and to sustain the development. Um, so for me, 
it was it was it was disappointing um because i i was i was kind of always trying to be a bit more visionary in terms of this is you know again it comes back to whether you like the music or not if you walk out of the gig going wow that was that was that was something that's kind of enough you know hopefully you'll like the music and actually listen to to the lyrics that's important to me as well of course i don't write the lyrics just to kind of be ignored um but you know it never happened and it it is it you know it is kind of a disappointment and it's kind of you know <sighs> I think you know once we we once did like so oh, I regret it to this day uh, we once did an anti heroin gig um, and you know and we just did little things like had projections and I came on with a massive syringe and stuff bearing in mind that was kind of my lifestyle at that time I nearly got kicked out of the band because uh, on, on that gig after that gig because I didn't turn up kind of uh, in the the, the, the 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 uh, ethos of the uh, gig, shall I say? <laughs> um, but you know, I just lost my aunt. You know, um, uh, the one who'd been seminal in my life. And, right. Um, you know, and I have to say, you know, the band itself were just amazing because there was also a point where I got arrested and uh, and I was kind of allegedly in rehab for. Uh, three months um, and they waited till I got back to to do anything so that was good and we carried on um, and as I say it's one of those where we don't actually know why we split up it just seemed to be a natural thing we all had to kind of, kind of do other things like get a job um, and things like that and people were moving um, but yeah I mean I, oh, yeah well, you talk about you talk about playing shows and working and uh, being um, visionary and uh, uh, trying to trying to create um, experiences for people. Are there any particular shows that you played with the Innocent that, that stick out in your memory <laughs> as favourites? <laughs> there's a few, but it's, maybe. <laughs> Which ones can I remember now? Let me think. Uh, um, no, I mean, I, I you know, even the shittiest gigs were great it was the case of getting up there and kind of surviving and also just, you know, I can't, you know, I can't even imagine now being able to coordinate playing a guitar and singing at the same time, to be honest. It was like, I'm like, Oh God. And I did all of that. And I've listened to some of the recordings, although very rough and I'm going, bloody hell. I didn't, didn't know I could do that. You know, when you listen back. Um, yeah. I mean that, some of the best gigs were probably at the poly and you know at one gig i even uh, made them <laughs> do a youtube thing and have have the, the 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 thing coming out of the front of the stage where you could walk up you know like it's a fucking <laughs> stadium lovely it was lovely it was like <laughs> tongue in cheek but at the same time it's like yes you've come to see us of yeah. course <laughs> you know and then, you know, as soon as I get off stage, I'm, I'm in the dressing room going, I don't want to talk to anyone. Turn the phone. Yeah. You know, I, I, 
I'm not being ignorant, but I can't be doing with the, oh, that was great and all that. And I, <laughs> so it, for me, you know, the making it, the kind of that adulation wasn't really what I wanted. It was to, I think my ultimate dream would have been to have really good recordings of the songs that, that I wrote lyrics for. That's, Did you like going in the studio? Was it a good experience going and recording? Um, well, the first one, <laughs> I was uh, playing guitar and singing, obviously not separately because I couldn't do both in the studio. Um, yeah, that was hard work. What, whoever says, uh, you know, even doing a little demo, which, you know, you try and lay down in three or four hours. Oh, my God, I was, I was so knackered afterwards. And that was despite oh. some help. I was just like, this is such hard. You got, I've got to concentrate. You know, on a live show, things go wrong. You just can't, not cover it up, but you just go roll with it. You know, mm. one of my yeah. biggest disappointments about going to see some of the modern bands is you may as well just watch the video because they're not really doing anything. There's nothing goes wrong. It's like listening to a CD and you walk away going, yeah, they're technically really good. You know, but I, I miss shows where people fall over or you know, go on stage two hours late because they're in the, their dressing room getting absolutely wankered. And, you yeah. know, I'm yeah. thinking particularly of Johnny Thunders. Um, and you don't know what to expect, you know. You just, you know, you just don't know what to expect. Now everyone's like there with their fucking cameras and you're thinking, mm. yeah, you've read about this band in The Guardian and you think you must see them and you must show everyone you've seen them because that's kind of your credibility. Whereas for me, music is, is far more intense and personal. I couldn't just go, oh, yeah, well, someone's recommended that, therefore I'll go and see them, you know. it's uh... um, So that was one of them. Um, I, I, you know, we played so many. We were really, for, for the short time we were together, I was going through just one of the years. And we, you know, in one month we were like, in the space of two weeks, we had like seven rehearsals and two gigs and, and the mixing of the, the demo, the first demo, yeah. two weeks. And you think, oh, wow, you know, it's a proper lifestyle. We actually yeah. shared the same house. So that <laughs> we actually moved in together, the, the drummer, myself and the bass player. Did you did you uh, tour as well? Did you get up to London to play some shows? No, we never really, the, the, the furthest we got now, I'm trying to think of a horrible place. Uh, our manager was, was really good at hyping us um, and, and making us sound as if we were bigger than we were, uh, which is always good because, you know, you'll get people through the door and then you can put on your show and then they either like you or don't like you, but they've definitely had an experience. Anyway, uh, I don't know. I don't know anything uh, geographical. Anyway, we got we got to, we turned up there and played the poly there, and uh, from what I remember, it was really good. And then we had like people in the dressing room, and uh, yeah, it was it was really odd because you know I'm I'm not used to people liking you for being a so-called pop star or, or rock star, whatever it is, you know, kind of something that they kind of aspire to because uh, I just consider myself to be me and um, yeah that was that was odd uh, and I think the best best and worst gig we ever played was we we kind of played back in my hometown of Shrewsbury and ironically enough it was 
at Tiffany's or used to be Tiffany's, whereas where, where I first saw the uh, all the original punk bands, it was a proper stage. The place was packed. I don't know how, but it was packed. And I've, you know, we've played the poly, which was, you know, just to get a couple of hundred people in, but this just seemed to be rammed. And uh, my memory of that gig is one by that point we had the worst guitarist in the world um again <laughs> you know we were we had one guitarist called don and i think if he'd stayed the band would have really gone somewhere mm. because he played i've i've debated this with the drummer but the first demo i definitely played on but the second one the technique of the guitar which is very john mcgeoch i don't think i could have played do you know what I'm saying? I, I, I just, unless I was really, really out of it and just couldn't, can't remember being able to play guitar that well, but just some of the riffs, I was like thinking, nah, nah, that, that definitely isn't me. I may have played something in the background, but anyway. Um, so the gig started and we did, I think it was probably Dead End was usually our our opening track, which is the first one on the demo. And everyone was just like, <laughs> and I was like, bloody hell. Um, at that point, I got into a very much, uh, a, a much more crafted black and white look. So I basically looked like, like David Bowie did on his following tour and I always went he's copied me it's black tight skinny jeans and good hair obviously and uh, we did the first song and everyone was jumping and I was like oh my god this is like this is like a proper bloody gig and um, and then the bass player broke his bass string now a bass string and no backup bass that is oh, the worst pitch no. oh. in the world. You know, guitar string breaking, you can pretty much do that fairly quickly. A bass string, so that completely killed it. But then we, you know, after a while, we, I mean, I, I, I get really pissed off with things like that because I, one of the things that I always wanted was, weirdly enough, perfection. So stupid mistakes like that. So you'd have another bass, basically. You know, I'm yeah, not yeah. about being, you know, a big band and having stacks of instruments which you don't need to show off, but just being technical, you know, just having the basics in place. So we started the gig again, and by this time there was, uh, shall we say, just a little bit of hostility within some some people in the crowd. Well, unfortunately, they kind of mistake me for someone who's a wallflower. Uh, went on stage and when I got kind of uh, shall I say asked for a fight by some guys in the audience I literally just jumped off the stage and and it's, it sounds really silly but it sounds it's like it took me so long to get to them <laughs> through the crowd <laughs> what <laughs> and I'm not really an aggressive person I'm pacifist but as i say when i'm on stage it's like hang on i own this ring so you know just and uh by the time i got to them and it was really weird because we never had particularly security or anything but there they had door staff and they just grabbed these people and threw them out of the club and i was just and i was back on stage before the next uh next uh 
that between between the chorus and the, the verse, they kept playing the break <laughs> bit till I got back on stage and I just carried on nice. singing as if nothing had happened. So class, for me, class that act. kind of one of those gigs where you go, fuck, that doesn't happen very often, does it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I also like all the really cheapy, not cheapy, but, you know, the kind of pub gigs and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, for me, the bigger, not the massive venues, but the bigger the place and the bigger the bigger the stage, the better I had at kind of being visual. Um, I'm not really uh, into, wasn't really into standing still much. Uh, probably helped a lot by other things. But ironically enough, after the after we split up, the other the, the other really memorable gig was actually for uh, the drummer's uh, wedding. So they had instead of having like you know the traditional do, they just had a big party, and they asked, they su- suggested, and we haven't played together for God uh, quite a number of years whether we'd play. So we basically got. Uh, you know, friends who were in other bands at that time and we got together. So I think there was actually me and Eagle who were from the original lineup, and then Jez from Primal Trash and Druid, I think, from Primal Trash. I think Jim played as well, but I can't be 100% sure. That was brilliant. That was, I loved that. And it was because it was just basically in front of friends and family. And uh, that show was, you know, I, I, it was interesting because I, I'd been sober for a number of years. And it was an odd experience because I, as soon as I walked on stage, it, 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 it almost transported me back. I didn't need any, any additional help, shall we say. Yeah. I needed it as help, but that, you know, it was a lifestyle. So... I just walked on stage and immediately got the rush and I was like, right, that's it. And I was all over (laughs) clambering over the PA and stuff like that. And, and oddly enough, there was a video taken of it, but the only cop I've got has actually not got any sound to it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. There was two copies, one with sound and one without. Um, And weirdly enough, from kind of that, we uh, then did some later recordings, which are called the bedroom recordings, which were probably the closest uh, I came to hearing, one, my voice, because a lot of time, certainly live, you don't hear your voice, you know, because we don't have any of that. You just got your monitors and you're lucky if you hear yourself. And, and it's very rare that live you get someone who's actually mixing you decently and actually putting things like reverb and things on at the right places. But once you're in the studio, you can do all of that. Mm. So that was the closest I came to getting those songs down uh, in a way that I wanted to hear them. And then, of course, those things get put in the back of the drawer and then 20 years later i suddenly i i i got lost in the dance scene for a while shall i say <laughs> um and didn't really listen to anything uh, involving a guitar and then i don't think you're alone in that uh yeah i mean i think you know again the originally the dance scene was very much like punk mm, yeah, yeah you know it's all about the ethos behind music 
you know and for me that that was the closest we came to that even more so than indie music but then you know someone i don't know where i heard it but i heard the subways uh rock and roll queen i went fuck me that's that's good <laughs> I immediately got the album and it was like yep back into guitar music yeah, uh, brilliant. obviously only of certain types um but uh yeah i mean I, then i started listening to all sorts of guitar based bands again which was interesting and then ironically enough just found a tape and put it on and was listening to it and i think my partner at the time walked through and went, who the fuck's this i went it's me I said oh that's good yeah. <laughs> Oh, thanks. Um, and then I started playing it to people, you know, it kind of came out of, yeah, I used to be in bands, you know. You may know me from nightclubs and dancing around like an idiot, but actually <laughs> this is where my roots are, you know. This is what, I, what I'm what i good at, if you see what I mean. Like, Yeah, well, you uh, can tell you've, you've got a massive amount of passion for it. Totally. Uh, it's brilliant it's brilliant to hear you talk about it i know we we are just we've rolled over the hour mark oh and i know and i know that De- ben is desperate to ask a question about slade um, <laughs> you did genuinely want to ask this question about slade oh well, we were talking well your biographies ace so uh yeah just be it'd be nice to know the the story about um you being in the rehearsal with them uh, and how that come well you talked a little bit about how that came together yeah yeah I mean that was really because uh because I was involved with the polyence side of things and it's it's odd because you know you shouldn't really meet your heroes mm. um but but I didn't actually go up and talk to them you know there, there comes a stage in your life so... you're, in, you're in the rehearsal with them and you don't go and talk to them no you see, I went back to being kind of, uh, it's weird because I can't kind of reverted to being back to me, which is kind of a little bit shy. And I, I regret it to this day, to be honest, because I, I, I think later on in life, I, I, I suffered a personal tragedy and I kind of changed my perspective on things a lot. Um, you know, I, I, be honest my partner took his own life and that changed my whole perception it did this isn't depressing by the way it taps into the music thing um and uh, my 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 thinking changed completely and now i kind of say what i feel about people because they could be gone at any point and i think it's really important that that and particularly what we've recently been been through that people take a little time to go actually you meant this to me at that particular point in my life i might not see might not have seen you again and whatever like we had a punk reunion in wolverhampton you know where the drummer was there and loads of people who used to be on the scene wolverhampton had a really good punk scene and uh you know and i we used to rehearse um when we moved from the squat because that was closed down we rehearsed in in, above some shops in this this guy's basically his uh his flat um and he was this hippie called merv and he was he was known in wolverhampton because he you know middle of winter he'd still be walking down the street in his cut off jeans shorts and whatever and he opened his place up to bands to just rehearse 
And when I ran into him at the uh, at this reunion, I mean, I hadn't seen him in probably 25 years. And I just went up to him and said, do you know, Merv, I just want to say how absolutely amazing you are as a person and how significant you were in the band's development and in allowing us space. And he was, of course, you know, because we're not good at taking compliments, very humble and kind of, oh, yeah, yeah, nothing. I said, no, I needed to tell you that. Now, the reason I say that is because uh, even when, I, when, I, when I'm uh, really happy, I'm, I'm crap at writing songs. So actually, uh, my personal experience meant that I actually then ended up writing another 15 songs. <laughs> you know, so, so when I, going back to your Slade bit, um, so that was at a stage when I kind of, I, I regret not going up to, to Noddy and going, do you know, because uh, I Love You is one of the best tracks in the world, you know, and that violin just blew, blew me away and uh, you significantly altered my musical path because, you know, if you listen to Slade, it's very much like, it's almost like punk, it's kind of marching music, it's, a, it's an anthem. Um, and writing a good song uh, requires, you know, having a bit of a catchiness to it um one of my favorite songs that i wrote is so well co-wrote so the music is really really poppy i mean just you know i mean we're almost talking the cure poppiness um let's all sing along but the lyrics are really depressing and I love that juxtaposition with yeah, yeah. along yeah. to something that's you know uh actually really dark so I kind of like doing stuff like that. You know, and I don't know if I'll be writing uh, or working uh, in the future, um, but, you know, it's still my dream to get get some people together who, um, you know, want to just do something uh, recording-wise, I think. Uh, I do miss, I, do, I mean, one of the reasons that I love doing the Fallout gigs is I love being on stage. You know, that's kind of where I'm, where the other side of me comes out. And it's, uh, it's a night, you know, I'm not actually that aggressive, if you see what I mean. I'm just, uh, I just love, love putting on a show. And, uh, well, you've clearly got masses of passion for it. It just comes out in, in spades in the, when you, when you're describing your experiences, but also just then talking about what it means to you. And, um, so, if you do find yourself in a position where you make something new with some people, let us know. Oh, yeah. Great, well, to, yeah. great to have you yeah. come back on and talk about that and play uh, something brand new. But uh, but we felt we find um, people for the podcast in all sorts of ways. And it was very, very random finding you. Uh, I think it was the Wolverhampton Music Archive. That's right, yeah. Page or something. And you'd, you'd been a little bit active on there and stuff. So it's always a roll of the dice. We hadn't spoken before. It was just... You, you seemed into, you know, sharing some thoughts about your music. I can't tell you how happy I am that we've reached out to you. It's oh, been totally. absolutely oh, brilliant yeah. to hear yeah. what you've got to say. Thank you so much for being so honest and giving and passionate, your experiences. Passionate, yeah, and because and, it it really resonates. And, and uh, I, th- I think we both probably recognise a lot of ourselves in what you're talking about. And Yeah. Uh, but, but thank you. Thank you so much, Jens. Oh, you're more than welcome. Can we just close out with you introducing the songs that people are going to hear now, please? 
I hope I get them right. (laughs) (laughs) So the recording should be uh, Dead End and Shadow. Thanks, Jens. Yeah, thanks, Jens.
Songs from a Padded Envelope is presented, produced and edited by Steve Swindon and Ben Clay. Music is by state-sponsored Jukebox. Artwork is by Matt Canning. Songs from a Padded Envelope is a Hidden Hive production. (laughs) 